To the latest edition of the Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague Stuart Mandel. We are taping this show on Thursday morning uh, after a pretty eventful Wednesday in college athletics. All right, Stu. So there's just a few things that were significant that happened yesterday. Uh, North Carolina, with a whole bunch of positive cases they announced, push pause on their football uh, ramp up. Uh, Ohio State did as well. Now, they did not release how many positives they had. Uh, the Ivy League, as we were expecting, said they're not going to have football or fall sports uh, in the fall. And it's all t- going to be TBD if they can try to make a run of having some semblance of a season in the spring even. So... Look, I know we've tried at times not to talk about the pandemic and try to have kind of a football-only show, and we did that a couple of weeks ago, and I know it's been almost unavoidable, but in this case, it really does feel like there is no other topic to talk about right now if you're a college football fan. Yeah, I mean, we've reached a point where, you know, I think early on everybody would say, well, we've got time, you know, it's five months until the season, or it's four months until the season. But now we've reached the point where um, teams are supposed to, you know, this this phased in ramp up approach that the NCAA uh, passed a little while back. You know, they're supposed to move from voluntary workouts to some team activities uh, Monday, and then I think a more crucial date is July 24th when extended training camp is supposed to begin, 20 hours a week. Uh, you can't get out there and start hitting each other yet, but walkthroughs. Uh, meetings, all that stuff. And I mean, it's right around the corner and it just seems like, how is that going to happen? You know, especially in places where the virus um, is, is spiking right now. And so, like you said, I mean, Ohio state having to put the pause on workouts or UNC. Uh, And so, I mean, it's just kind of unavoidable right now. The season, the status of the season is clearly in question. And so I don't, it's not that, we're going out of our way to talk about it. It is the topic right now. Um, you know, normally in July we would be conference media days would be next week. We'd be starting to really hit, um, you know, hit that period where it, hey, it feels like the season's around the corner and let's start breaking down the SEC this year. And it just feels like that's on the back burner right now until we actually know what we're going to be doing. So um, we wanted to bring on a, a special guest, our friend Paul Feinbaum. Uh, I don't think he needs an introduction. I think you know who he is um, to get his take on all of this and for us to just have a conversation about, I mean, I'm most curious to know how these last four months have been for him. You know, you and I just have to find something to talk about for an hour each week. He's got to fill four hours a day, five days a week with no sports. Um, So we want to talk to him about that. Um, Before we do that, uh, there was one other, I mean, you mentioned it real quick, but it's kind of flew under the radar. Stanford has announced they were cutting 11, you know, sports. We've seen some schools start to cut sports teams, non-revenue sports teams, but this was pretty drastic. Now, Stanford has one of the biggest athletic departments in the first place, so even after cutting 11 teams, they still have 25, which is a lot. Um, but I thought it was pretty, pretty eye-opening, Bruce, because it might be a little bit of a preview of what's to come if we do end up with a significantly disrupted football season where teams are going to lose a lot of money or a marginalized season where whether it's just a bunch of conference games or six or eight game season, if it gets pushed to into the fall, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ugly math that doesn't work out very well for, for colleges, not just college athletic programs. And in Stanford's case, I mean, they, they, they had a pretty exhaustive press release about all this and, because Stanford's a private school, we don't know their revenue and expenses on a year to year basis, but they came out and said like, even th- this was something that was probably going to have to happen anyway, because they've started to rack up a pretty significant, significant deficit. It's become too expensive to field all the teams that they do, even though they're very successful on the field. Um, 
So that too was just like it's kind of an indictment of the Pac-12, right? You know, it didn't suddenly become expensive in the just in the last few years to field all those teams. It's that expenses go up every year, and the revenue they're getting from the Pac-12 is not keeping pace with it. So um, I would brace for more announcements like that. Maybe not quite that drastic. And it's unfortunate because, and I wrote this, you know, when, in the article I did a little while back. But as as much as right now we feel like we're in the in the I mean, it feels like this has been going on forever already, and we don't know when it's going to end. But we will come out of this. College sports will come out of this. And when it does, the popularity will be as high as ever, if not more so. And the TV money is going to come flowing back in. And I, I really wish they would, like, you know, it's not good to go into a deficit by any means. But, like, you're going to come out of it, and you're going to make more money eventually. And it's unfortunate that kids are going to lose their scholarships and and not have the opportunity to play um, because colleges just don't operate that way. They don't they don't make five year plans. They try to balance the budget every year. And so that's that's the unfortunate uh, byproduct of that. But um, again, I think something to that effect was probably coming even before the pandemic. Just the, the the anticipated losses from this, you know, accelerated the timetable and made it even worse. Well, Bruce, let's get to our guest, shall we? Paul Feinbaum, who uh, we, we're going to have a pretty um, in-depth conversation about the state of things right now, but also pretty cool uh, story or developing story, Bruce, about um, there's there's going to be a, a sitcom. There's a sitcom in the works about Paul Feinbaum's life. We are pleased now to be joined by Paul Feinbaum, ESPN, SEC Network, you guys all know who he is. You 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 listen to the show. You, you watch it on the SEC Network, and you see him on various Sports Center hits. Um, Paul, we, we we wanted to bring you on because uh, first of all, Bruce and I for four months now struggled to figure out what to talk about on our podcast every week, and that's one hour a week. You fill four hours a day, uh, five days a week. Um, I, I'm curious how you you know how you've how you've managed this time, first of all, in terms of what you've found that your audience wants to talk about. I assume it's less, I mean, this time of year, you'd probably be getting a lot of questions about how LSU is going to look, how Alabama is going to look, and, and, and what, what is on people's minds. Yeah, it, uh, it's interesting, Stu. It's been one of the, the, the most incredible challenges uh, I've ever faced because um, I, I really early on was, was like everyone, it was, it was such a dark, uh, gloomy picture. Not that it isn't now, but it really was back in March. And the idea of, of, of talking about things that may or may not happen just didn't seem real. So we, we turned the show to the reality of the situation, which really upset a lot of people. Um, uh, the producer of this uh, podcast is, is a person that has been my producer for many, many years. So I'm sure he's snickering right now, thinking how the audience would not want to admit that something was going on uh, that was outside of their control. And every time we talked about the seriousness of, uh, of COVID, there was pushback. So that was really the beginning of it. And are you out of your mind? There wouldn't be a college football season. And, and then, you know, we all got on the train in April and rode it to Memorial Day. And, and the last two or three weeks have been extremely tough because the reality that, that it may not be perfect, it may not start on time, it may not happen at all, has just devastated the audience. Uh, to an to a, a parallel universe which uh <laughs> is the fine bomb show paul i wanted to ask you so you know we've we don't have to pick as many guests as as you have to because maybe we have a guest want a show maybe we don't in your case when you're bringing on people you have a huge microphone in our world as college football audience and obviously and i'm saying that to get to this is the people you're putting on, how, I don't say how comfortable you are, but when they're going to say what they're going to say, um, because we're in, you know, just the nature of COVID itself is nobody really knows much of anything because it, we're still learning about this. And we haven't learned, it seems like, that all that much about it. So when you're bringing on experts, even when you're bringing on your normal callers or people who maybe you don't, you, you don't hear from too often... Like what goes through your mind as as these messages are going out over SEC Network and a, a pretty substantial microphone? Yeah, I mean, Bruce, early on it was really a challenge um, because 
I found it affecting me. Uh, I mean, I mean, it, it was just so bizarre uh, to suddenly have everything stop. And, and I think that, uh, and I had to try to balance it. And then you get all the ideologies. And one of my, my first newspaper editor called me and he said, he said, I'm just going to give you some advice and you don't want to hear it. I said, yes, sir. He said, just keep politics out of it. And, and I, I did that very successfully until uh, the tragedy with George Floyd. And, and that was almost another subset of this, which went on for five or six weeks and is still going on that, uh, that we, that we moved on from COVID for five or six weeks and now we're back to it. So, I mean, it's all, I, I mean, you guys have, uh, you know, you, you, you understand Bruce, the, the ESPN culture and, um, you know, the stick to sports is out the window. Um, you can't, I mean, I did a show earlier today, not to beat up on Max Kellerman, <laughs> but I will. Uh, I mean, he did seven minutes on, you know, why the U S opened so early and, and the rest of the world is ahead of us. And I'm like sitting there going, am I supposed to jump in here? Um, you know, it sounded like I was watching, uh, MSNBC, um, which is, you know, I'm not getting political, but, it, but you know, that's what's happened now with this. Everyone is taking it politically and we, and, and all the three of us, I think are, are true to, you know, we, we look at it from a, you know, how does it affect college football? And, and that has been the biggest challenge. Um, and I, I think it's gotten more challenging now because everything that has already been said is no longer operative. That's been a big challenge, I know, for me, and I think for Bruce as well, is early on, if you dared even suggest that this is going to imp- – not not like not even like saying an, an opinion, like, oh, I think the season could – just saying, hey, uh, this is ha- – you know, they've, they've shut down uh, practice at this school, and you would get – Stop being so negative. You're, why are you? Where are sports writer? Why are you rooting against sports? Just a whole segment of people who, frankly, were in denial that about the severity of, of COVID and that it could. And then that has definitely changed in the last few weeks. But you know, you said you try to Stuart, keep politics. Stuart, you, you know something? Uh, you, you just reminded me. Of something. Yeah. Um, if you go back to, uh, I think it was late March. Kirk Herbstreit was on. Uh, Freddie and Fitzsimmons, late night show on ESPN. I, I was on a show the next morning and somebody asked me about it. I didn't know about it. And I'm sure uh, John Hayes is chuckling somewhere. I mean, the show didn't tweet out what he said. Uh, it was like, you know, it was in a dark hole. And I, and I finally pulled up the audio and I texted Herb Street. And I said, did you, I, I mean, people do this with me all the time, but for, for different reasons. I said, did you really say that? And he said, yeah. So I, I invited him to come on and he doubled down on our program, which just, exploded it even more and i have never i mean kirk Street is arguably the one of those popular figures in the history of college football from a, from a media standpoint i've never seen somebody savage more in an afternoon in, in my life and and it you know it, i think it had a chilling effect on all of us to be more careful about what we say so i kind of tried to the, the next time i was on a show hey do you think we're gonna have a football oh, absolutely i mean i mean you just started saying things uh but but you know Somewhere as we turn the corner into June, uh, mid-June, that became more difficult to say. Paul, where do you think, as we are now, and, and as Stu and I mentioned off the top of the show, North Carolina reported a lot, a lot of positive cases. They pushed pause. Ohio State pushed pause on their football run-up. Obviously, the Ivy League story was what it was. So as we're getting in now, late in this week, we're not in mid-July yet, but we're, I don't know, three weeks away from where we think um, the timetable is going to be really, really tight. Uh, do you think that we're at a place where, because you've seen a lot of football coaches and a lot of figures around the sport go, hey, if you want football, wear a mask. You know, it's like how wearing a mask became a political thing is kind of exhausting to go down that rabbit hole. And I don't even know if it's a rabbit hole at this point, right? But where... The, the, the conference that you're connected to, especially the SEC, you know, Greg Sankey, when he, what he tells maybe his coaches and his constituents, whether, you know, the ADs, um, that's a big tone setter. Where do you think the, the SEC is right now? Because I think when you talk about two months ago, a lot of people, I think, looked at this and saw the death numbers as well. That's a real big problem that New York City, New York and New Jersey and the Northeast and places that are not, you know, like we're going to still have football. And then now we've gotten into the point where you're seeing hospitalization numbers and 
things trending in a bad direction in a lot of places that are quote unquote football country, Texas, Florida, certainly Louisiana. Um, what's your read on what, not necessarily just what Sankey may be telling the people in, you know, that are closest to him, but also the message he is hoping people get out if, you know, to say, hey, we got to take this more seriously. Because I've talked to ADs that have said, you know what, one of the problems is people are not taking this seriously enough. Bruce, I, I, I mean, you, you always hate to say it's too late because, you know, it's never too late for, for anything, I suppose. But, but, but it's too late for governors and football coaches to start getting that message across. And in, in, in certain parts of the country, including uh, where I'm from, um, they don't like to be told what to do. And, and they took the mask conversation personally, like you're infringing on my rights, uh, you know, argue that somewhere else. But that, that's what I, I've heard over and over again. And, and, and I think I think the numbers are, are out of control. I was looking at the New York Times today and I think the state of Alabama right now ranks eighth in the uh, if it was if it were a country it would rank eighth in the world in terms of the uh, the, the increase uh, percentage wise or per ratio this week. Uh, I, I mean, they're all southern. They're all southern states, other than uh, Arizona and California, uh, and and it, it's a you know Texas, uh, Florida. It's a real problem. And 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 Sankey uh, said something overnight where he said uh, he it, it's the most sobering I've heard him discuss. Where he he said that optimism is not reality. Um, to me, that was a a telltale sign from him. I don't know what he's telling his coaches and his ads. But if he's saying that publicly, uh, he is not very confident that we're going to get this in. So how are fans feeling about this right now? Because, um, you know, I, I, as we've gone through the various news cycles, I can remember when it was, oh, the, the Pac-12 is not going to be able to play, but the SEC is. And, um, you know, the SEC is not going to let other conferences tell them what to do. Uh, are fans grasping that the, se- the season's in jeopardy or is it? Um, we're not there yet. I think there's still a disconnect, and and I mean the the, the way the way I hear about it is people just say I'm I'm not going to listen to you anymore. <laughs> you're you're I mean and you, you, I mean Stewart was on our program the other day, Bruce, and uh, you know he he made just a, an objective view of something. I don't I can't remember what it was, Stewart, and we tweeted it out, and I was looking at the timeline, and all of a sudden, I mean Stewart might as well be the uh, you know Putin's right hand man. <laughs> um, I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was savage. I mean, he was savage. Um, and, but you, that, that's the problem. And you just can't take that seriously. I mean, by this point, we all know where and what ideology the comments are coming from on both sides. Uh, not, uh, it, none of this is hard to figure out. So, um, I, I think fans are going to have a hard time with this. Uh, and, and probably the hardest time for me, um, is, you know, you look at your board and, you know, you know Jack from, from uh, Montgomery, Alabama, wants to talk about uh, you know Patrick Nix and and whether or not uh, you know no, uh, I'm sorry, not Bo Nix. Bo Nix. Patrick's his dad. Um, Tells you how long I've covered Auburn. Um, Bo Nix, uh, you know whether he you know whether he's going to have a breakout year. Um, and you know those are tough conversations to have right now. I, I mean, usually by this time, uh, you know Phil Steele has been the most uh, uh, requested guest in America. Uh, it, it's tough to do the Phil, the Phil Steele annual right now when, you know, the, the football question, the football season is in jeopardy. Well, I mean, have you kind of gone down the road in your head about, hey, it's, it's late September, we don't have a season, and maybe they're going to p- hope to play in the spring, but who knows what you're talking about every day. Um, <laughs> Yes, Bruce. I mean, and and I I immediately try to think about something else. Um, <laughs> yeah, because you know this part wasn't all that difficult. I know you know we, we can make it into the, some the complexities of March, uh, March eleventh until till now four months. But uh, if suddenly the season gets wiped out um, and you know we don't know about spring, and I, I can't imagine that that we'll know about spring immediately. Uh, I'm sure they'll they'll do what the Ivy has done. That you know we'll talk about it and figure it out. Uh, it's going to be a a barren time, and and I, I don't. I mean, football fans, like all sports fans, need hope. And I think a little bit depends on what else is going on. 
if the NFL is playing, I think that would be uh, at least something to focus on. But if all the sport, I mean, can you imagine? Enough to be uh, a fatalist here, but if, if everything gets wiped out pretty quickly here, we we don't want to that that we that you know yeah. We, the, the athletic, we don't want to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, no, you know? <laughs> I, I, I didn't think you did. and uh, But I, I guess uh, you'll have to do what ESPN did and start. You know, I mean, ESPN had the Eagles on Sunday yeah. night. Um, you guys will just uh, start having uh, you know, favorite, favorite 70s, 80s, 90s albums. No, We're going to end up talking about Patrick Nix. By the way, Patrick was really a good quarterback. Um, but, it, yeah, these are, these are questions which I, we'll have plenty of time for, but uh, I mean, I do I do sympathize with the audience because, uh, you know, your readers and our listeners are, are so used to something and they are not equipped to deal with bad news. Yeah, I mean, contrary to what some of my Twitter replies say, we, we are not rooting against the return of football. Yeah. We that's absolutely most, you know, want. You know, yeah. Steve, that's, that's one of the most interesting things I've heard. And I, when, when you, uh, as one of the most prominent college football voices, uh, uh, of, the, of this generation and Bruce and, and all of us have to make that, we have to say that. Um, and, and we do because every day we're challenged. You know, you don't, I mean, you don't, uh, you don't want to see college football. No. I mean, I, most of our livelihoods depend on a singular sport and we would rather uh, talk about uh, the end of the world as we know it. Well, the irony in there is most of the people who would be critical of it, their livelihoods, I'm not saying they don't like football, I'm not saying that, but their livelihoods probably, you know, their jobs certainly are, are impacted by the pandemic. Sure, absolutely. But their, like, their livelihoods probably are not directly re related to if there's college football or not. And most of the people who are actually talking to people within the sport, theirs are. And so, I mean, there's a, I don't know if that's exactly the definition of irony, but it's a, you know, it's just kind of like one of those head scratchers that, you know, can be kind of exhausting as, as I feel like a lot of this has all been. So what is the things that you find are either in your conversations or the things you're looking for that make you optimistic? Because Stu and I talked about this, like eventually sports are going to come back, whether it's in the spring, whether it's in, you know, in the late fall or some point in 2021. But what do you find optimism in at this point? Uh, well, that may be the toughest question you've ever asked me. Um, I mean, right now, it's, it's hard to find much um, other than, uh, you know, th this will this will pass. Um, and, you know, I mean, it, 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 I mean, I was I was going somewhere the other day uh, and I was picking my, my wife was going to the grocery store and I was going to pick something up uh, and. And I'm, I'm, I'm walking uh, on a 91 degree day in, uh, on July 4th, you know, wearing a mask. And I just thought, I mean, this is really strange. I mean, this is a new world uh, order for us. And, and I, I think the optimism, Bruce, comes from when we're not wearing masks, when we're not thinking about everybody and every person we're talking to, and when we're talking about college athletics without uh, – you know, worrying about the things that we're talking about. And, and, it, and I, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm somewhat fascinated by what's on the other side of this. And I know you guys have written about it. We'll obviously write a lot more. But, you know, what happens to this, this industry that we're in, uh, the, the collective industry of college athletics? Uh, you know, is Jimmy Sexton going to be able, be able to go out and, and, and get a 20 or 30 million dollar buyout for Gus Malzahn the next time around. Um, we know the answer to that, but I mean, it, yeah, I, I think that's what I'm, I'm intrigued by. I'm not optimistic about it, but I'm intrigued by the, the, the shape of, of, of athletics when, when this finally passes. I mean, the thing is there are, you know, everybody, I think everybody in some way, right. Has fears about this virus. It's just, it's how do you, some people cope with that by, you know, staying up late reading every single article there is about COVID yeah. and when, and, and other people deal with it by saying, I'm, I'm just not going to pay attention to this at all. Uh, let's talk about more positive things. And, and we, trust me, we would love to be able to give those positive things. The, you know, we have had conversations, we have brought on certain guests that were basically for that reason. Um, but we also can't ignore reality. And, you know, I think yeah. when you, when we get those comments about you're rooting against college football, it's more, they're saying, I, I just don't want to hear that. Um, 
you know, yeah. to tell me something I, I different. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did a show earlier today uh, back in Alabama with uh, two big talk show hosts there who've been, been on the air for, and, and they were, and one of them said, this is, this is not even as bad as the flu. And, you know, I'm, I've heard it all. Uh, I just said, okay, great. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I no longer debate. Um, and, you know, I had a guy call our show the other day, uh, Stu and say, you know, this is, um, this has been concocted. This is a, a man-made virus concocted by Anthony Fauci and Bill Gates. I'm like, well, that's great. Keep talking. <laughs> um, you know, it, it reminds me, I don't know if you guys remember the, the show, uh, I think maybe in the 80s, it was on overnight named Art Bell, where I mean, he always talked about, you know, people that came uh, to, you know, from outer space or other universes and took him away. And, and that's kind of where we are. And, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone's wrong because everyone... I mean, every I, I had another guy call me yesterday and say, you know, I just read on the CDC website that this has been downgraded. I'm like going, okay, good. Yeah, I said, uh, did you see it on the website? So well, I heard about it. I said, okay, good. Um, so you, you, I'm, I, I'm, I'm as curious as anyone in the industry. And uh, I mean, if, if you, you know, I mean, I took the call from Harvey Updike. So I mean, I've, I've dealt with every imaginable uh, form of species. So uh, if you want to call with that take, then here's the number. I had uh, I had to go run an errand yesterday, and so as before I got out of my car, I kind of glanced at my my Twitter feed, and when I did, it like I was about to get out of the car, and it like made me stop and look. And so these are the back to back tweets that were on my timeline. Uh, this is from our colleague Chris Vanini, and he's retweeting the AD at Tulane. It said all 115 tests post July 4th have been negative. Our student athletes, coaches, and staff are doing a great job of masking up. And Chris tweets, good news at Tulane. Right beneath that, um, our LSU beat writer Brody Miller had retweeted a reporter, I think it's a political reporter named Greg Hilburn, who was tweeting the John Bell Edwards at Louisiana Gov just said, our hospitalizations have almost doubled since July 13th. And I'm like, so one hand's good news, the other one is really dire. And I feel like, and I'm not saying either is wrong, but it's like, you know what, like, I can see how, how exhausting this has been for everybody because we're not even talking about the other ramifications of this is if there's not school this, or if there's, if there's not in-person school and if you're a parent and both parents work, uh, how do you manage that? And there's... You know, if you have a small business and there's so many layers to this, that is really devastating. Um, as we're we're going through this, and it seems like in July, obviously, is a critical time as it relates to college football, Paul. Um, when you talk to not just your guests and your producers, but when you talk to other people around the sport, how mindful of you are this is the message not only they they're hoping to get out but just like how much are you reading into their tone of man this is a lot worse than i thought or like what what do you gauge on this or is it really just vary from the person to person you interact with yeah and, you know bruce it's interesting i mean and not to compliment the three people on, on this call but i mean there there are especially me uh, i mean there are, there are there are a lot of years of, of of sports writing and journalism uh connected so i think the three of us are are going to uh, you know, be a little more skeptical, but but I, I'm still surprised. Uh, as recently as the other day, talking to people privately, what do you hear? Well, I hear we may not have uh, you know more than thirty percent fans, and I'm like, really? I mean, so I, I think what what I mean by that is that there 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 are a lot of I mean, the people you normally would go to as good sources in this industry uh, are are really, uh, I think, being very careful about what they disseminate because uh, they don't want to be the one like by curb street uh, uh, earlier in the conversation. So uh, I, I, I'm shocked at how, how, uh, how the disconnect, I guess, is what I'm saying from people that I, I really under, I like. Now, again, I'm, I come from a little more of a, a cynical view than most. And you, you guys have, have, have all, you know, we've all been lied to and misled, but it seems like that, that it's, it's never been as bad as this. Now, you, uh, because I mean, I, you, you hear that you hear a different version, Bruce, uh, within a 10 minute period by talking to one person here and one person there. So what I've tried to do is just is really lean on guys like you uh, and, you know, people that can can decipher it, uh, can 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 see through it. 
and, and, and just try to give us a, an objective view. That's all, that's all we want. Uh, I, mean, I, I just don't want to be, uh, I, you know, it's like, it's like, I, I think I read someone writing about uh, leadership, uh, you know, Churchill during World War II spoke the truth to, to the people of, of, of Great Britain. I mean, they were getting bombed every night. Uh, I just wish someone in college athletics would start doing that with us. It, it's exactly the disconnect is a great word for it. Uh, it was maybe two weeks ago. Philip Fulmer said there, we're still expecting to have a full stadium this fall. Yeah. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't know what the laws, the current shutdowns or whatnot in Tennessee, but here <laughs> in California, in the Bay area, you can't have good. 25 people in one place, much less a hundred thousand. It just, I don't know if he just wants to say that to keep everybody's spirits up, but I'm like, he can't possibly believe that. And, 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 no, you know, we've been, yeah. I feel like we've been dealing with that all summer are these messages that you're just like, you can't, you can't possibly be serious. Right. Well, when, when, when this, in, in, in April and May, those were great lines. And as somebody who does a show, we had the governor of Georgia on who I think opened the States, you know, 10 minutes after we, we, we this was <laughs> the, you know, determined to be a pandemic. And, you know, I asked him, uh, I said, well, what do you think of it? I mean, he's a big Georgia football fan. And he said, ah, you know, I think we got a chance at, uh, you know, huge crowd. I mean, Twitter went crazy. And so you, that was crack cocaine to guys like us for a while, but not anymore. And I thought Fulmer's, Fulmer's comments, and I understand what he was saying. I mean, he was just trying to, 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 to feed the beast, so to speak. But, I mean, that, that was a line that drove me crazy. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm looking uh, down a minute ago as we're talking and the superintendent, uh, in, in Dallas just said, uh, he doubts there'll be, there'll be high school football in Texas. I mean, that's, what does that mean? That means that's a, a normal one co- high school football state. So that are, and I was asked earlier today, well, what do you think the Alabama Southern Cal game is still on? No, I don't think the Alabama Southern Cal game is still on, but so, I, I mean, it is exasperating. And I know, I, I think we're, you know, somebody's going to be listening to this later and go, Listen to these three guys just, you know, whining and crying. But uh, it has been uh, – I've never covered anything quite like this um, where there is so much, uh, you know, you know it's not really misinformation. I mean, if you're the athletic director at whatever school, I mean, you, you, you're selling out – you're sending out season ticket orders. I saw, you know, Greg Byrne the other day sent out, we're going to be ticketless this fall. Really? I mean, <laughs> going to be seatless. Uh, I think. Congratulations, Greg. That's a uh, that's a really smart thing to do during this. Well, one thing I was going to ask you, Paul, just on that spirit, I feel like the things people are saying publicly is very different from the things that people are saying privately. And it, there's a lot of times I'm not saying everyone is is right. saying one thing and then completely doing a 180 the other way, and and certainly things can change, you know, from week to week, and they have. But I definitely feel like some of the things I've heard from 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 people in the sport who aren't comfortable putting their names and speaking out is not the same as as some of the. And I I have not talked to Phil Fulmer, sure. so I have no idea what you know how he feels if it's any different from that. But I definitely feel like some people in high positions of you know high athletic directors and and whatnot have been very troubled and very disturbed. Well. Bruce, he, I'm glad you brought that up because Bob Bowlesby, and I don't, I don't know him that well, but you guys know him probably a lot better. I mean, he, he was uh, like a wrecking ball early on. I mean, he, you know, Bob said it all. I mean, he was speaking very, uh, very explicitly about uh, what what he thought, and and I and I heard a lot of criticism uh, about him from inside the Beltway. Um, yeah, meaning other people of authority, like what's he doing out there talking about uh, the uh, you know, the OU Texas weekend being a petri dish? Well, we we are we've already seen that the state fair canceled. Um, so I think because of that, uh, because of all these other things that we, we all we we all went a little uh, gun shy. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been asked, as you guys have been, because I've asked you two guys, uh, well, do you think we're gonna have a college football season? And and the second that question comes, you start thinking of a nuanced answer. Uh, because you don't want to be uh, the victim on, on in the Twitter sphere uh, of, of having said it's going to be uh, canceled. Uh, you know, I, I don't think the question any longer should be, are we going to have a college football season? I, I think the question should be, should we have a college football season? That's a that's that's true. That that's a, I think that the uh, moral and ethical component to this has is started to 
especially with you know i think that's what people say oh ivy league that has nothing to do with the sec or the big 10 what are you what are you talking about and it's like well the presidents at at um, alabama the presidents at at michigan or you name the big football they have a, they have a lot of respect for the presidents of harvard and princeton and yale they and if they're if those guys are saying we just don't think it's safe to play football i'm not saying that then then ohio state michigan run out tomorrow and say the same thing but it it carries weight and and it's um i think there's a, a a you know i think a lot of people even if they're not saying it publicly yet are concerned about the optics of if we if if, if the ivy league or maybe some other fcs leagues say we don't think we can safely do this then if we do it it looks like we're just doing it for the money at the possible risk and uh, safety of the athletes. Yeah, I saw your tweet uh, about that yesterday. I was about to go on uh, to talk about it. And I, I thought it was so it was so interesting, Stuart, because that's exactly it. Um, and yeah, I, I just don't think that's been enough of uh, enough of a conversation piece now. And, and by the way, there, you know, until now, maybe it didn't need to be. Uh, but that's that's the, that's the end shot of, of the Ivy decision. And, and you know those eight presidents, and you know, I, I, you know, I'm sure there's some schools. There, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I know we're short on time. I interviewed Gordon Gee the other day, uh, the West Virginia president. I, you know, I gave the great introduction. You know, two-time president at Ohio State, and uh, you know, now he's at West Virginia, and he was at Vanderbilt. And before I even introduced myself, I was also at Brown, <laughs> because I mean that uh, that matters to college presidents. I mean, yeah. there's nothing like the Ivy League. And you know the, the pre- I don't I don't even know who the president at Texas Tech is, but if he could go to uh, Princeton tomorrow, he probably would. Right, right. All right. Here's the positive note I want to end on after all this doom and gloom. <laughs> Tell us about the sitcom that you you are going to be the subject of, or at least it's in the works. Give us the details. A sitcom about your life. It, it is in the works. It's been going on for a couple of years, um, and you know it, it had one iteration last last summer. Uh, I spent two or three days in, in, in Hollywood, which were, you know, I, I know you guys live out there, but it was pretty cool for me, you know, hanging out uh, at the Beverly Wilshire and, you know, doing all the Hollywood things. Um, and and at, at the end of that, uh, a couple of people involved, we, we need to regroup. So we, we made some changes and make a very long story short. Uh, there's a big Hollywood production company involved, a, a big guy that, uh, that that really matters out there and he is behind it. Um, he, he's got a, a group of writers and, 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 and producers, and uh, there's an actor who who wants to play the, the lead. Uh, and I'm not uh, allowed, you know, because nothing is written in stone yet. But it, you know, he's a guy that, uh, that people recognize. It's Brad Pitt, uh, right? Was, uh, well, uh, <laughs> it's between it's between, uh, Brad and uh, Matt. Matt Damon are going to flip <laughs> over it. Um, but yeah, it, it was just the most bizarre thing in the world the other day on a Zoom call talking to this guy. Uh, and he's asking, well, okay, well, 20 years ago, what were you doing? How were you doing? Am I, it was just bizarre. Um, but, yeah, whether it, it comes to fruition, a lot depends on the subject we were just talking about. When is Hollywood going to reopen? Well, okay, so now we have two things to look forward to, Bruce, the return of football and the debut of this show. By the way, who was – wasn't there a Tony Kornheiser show that was made or somebody tried? Uh, yes. Uh, Jason Alexander played him, and the uh, – that's the good news. The bad news is it was canceled after three episodes. Oh, man. You'd be better off having Julia. <laughs> well, Everybody Loves Raymond was one of the most successful well, so sitcoms couple, of all time. Right? And the char- main writer, character so. was a sports writer. Yeah. Yep, he was a sports writer. No, I mean, it, uh, the, the idea is to, is to set it in Birmingham, which uh, the guy was asking about my relatives. And I, I have this brother-in-law uh, who, who's a big hunter. And they, they were just thinking, you know, here's a you know, Jewish guy with New York parents and uh, – He's going hunting for the first time with his brother-in-law in Walker County, Alabama. Hey, I got a better idea. The J- Jason Alexander thing as Kornheiser, since that didn't work, I think they should, with all due respect, Paul, I think they should tweak it and ha- have it be about Paula Feinbaum, make a little bit, and let Julia Louis-Dreyfus play you. <laughs> I like it. I, I, it. Yeah, that is pretty fun. By the way, uh, one, of the, one of the people I'm involved with, uh, the, the head the head of the company, uh, he had, uh, they got pretty far along about 10 years ago with, with Colin Cowherd, and it just never came to fruition. So, I mean, this is not a new thing, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good with it. I'm having fun uh, talking about it. And, uh, I mean, I, you guys will have to show me around uh, Bel Air as my wife and I are you know, real estate shopping. 
That's Bruce's <laughs> that's, that's not my neighborhood. He, he, either. he can <laughs> he can tell he he go to any restaurant in Bel Air and he just says his name and you're in. Uh, I, I would, well, we all know somebody whose name we probably could drop out there, but uh, anyway, no, it's a. Uh, I, I hope it goes somewhere. If it doesn't, I've, I've had a blast talking about it. And, uh, you know, I've been disappointed before, I can assure you. We appreciate you joining us on the Audible today. And as always, um, we highly recommend our audience. They already know everything about you. So, um, but best of luck Thank you. with keeping people entertained and keeping people interested. Guys, uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan uh, of both of yours. And, uh, I can't wait to get you back on our program and uh, hopefully, hopefully maybe we'll have some good news coming up. I'm, I'm not optimistic, but uh, let's give it a shot. Sounds good. Thanks, Paul. Hey fellas, as you know, Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. Manscaped has forever changed the grooming game with their perfect package 3.0. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 3.0, waterproof cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This is the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest shave. This third generation trimmer features skin safe technology to reduce manscaping accidents. You can also adjust settings to get a length you like, and you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all. Subscribe to the Perfect Package and get a new blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use the code THEATHLETIC. For a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. Remember, the Shed Travel Bag and that patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped boxer briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC. Great talking to Paul. As always, let's get to the mailbag. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. This first one comes from Mike in St. Louis. Good morning. Big fan of the pod and the athletic. I hope you're all doing well amidst everything. Thank you very much, Mike. He wants to know what we think about the new hires in the SEC. Mike Leach has the most experience, but I think we'll we'll have a big adjustment to make. Lane Kiffin is not free of controversy, but feels like a big splash and has some decent weapons to work with. Eli Drinkowitz is young and has hopped around a lot, so it feels difficult to understand what he was really doing versus him just being in good, healthy programs. And Sam Pittman is the only one without head coaching experience. What are our thoughts on each of those guys? You want to start with who you want to start with? Let's start with Lane. He's the one who will make the biggest splash. I feel like he's the one who actually inherits the best situation. He's got two talented quarterbacks. He's got some good, good speed around him. Um, he also goes into a state that is in flux because both head coaches at Mississippi and Mississippi State, as as Mike points out, are are new, and there's a lot of stuff going on there. So I don't know if Lane if Lane can learn from the mistakes, which I think he he did from some of the stuff in his previous coaching stints and evolved, which I think he has to some degree, um, to a large degree. I, I think he has a chance to turn Ole Miss back into a top 25 program. I think he has the, of the four mentioned there, I think he has the best chance. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz is on the other side of the, of the conference, which is better for him. Um, you know, everything I've heard about Eli has been positive. I like the staff he put together and has there. I, th- I definitely think he has a chance. Um, Leach is curious to me. Like I, obviously I know Leach, pretty well um this again this was i remember somebody texting me this right after he took the job and it was like well he's in the deep end of the pool now and that is very true i think yes you have way better resources recruiting wise in starkville mississippi than you did in pullman washington but you're pretty much in uh like now you have more of a shark tank you're in in terms of there's Alabama, there's a defending national champs, LSU, Jimbo Fisher's in there, Auburn's in there. You got Lane Kiffin in there. I mean, and you're you're seeing it, you know, every time. There's That's way more of a gauntlet than the Pac-12 North. 
Um, so I don't, I, you know, I, I think a lane of, of those, and again, I, with Sam Pittman, it's a wild card. He's never been a head coach. I mean, my feeling on that a little bit is if Brett Bielema couldn't win there, I don't think Sam Pittman's going to win there. And that's probably not fair to Sam Pittman. He's not the same guy, but he was, he was certainly with him. I just, I just think that's, you know, he's taken over a situation where they don't have much. Chad Morris couldn't get any traction there in a sh- the short amount of time. So uh, for me, I mean, that, those are my thoughts on it. I think the one who has the best chance to me to have a consistent top 25 program is Lane right now because, uh, you know, as, as I said, I think for Leach, he's a brilliant offensive coach. But, you know, I, I go back to a little bit. When he faced teams with with a lot better talent on defense, which is what he saw with Washington and Jimmy Lake and those teams in the Apple Cup, it wasn't pretty. And, yes, he has a terrific running back in Kylan Hill, and he has some stuff to work with. But, I I mean, I think Lane is in the much riper position to get some traction there. I agree. Uh, Lane is... You know, obviously very polarizing, very controversial. Although, if you've noticed, he's been controversy free since he got to Ole Miss. He's been laying low. Um, you know, I think at FAU, he he maybe felt the need to do more trolling on Twitter just to get attention for that program. I don't think he feels like he has to do that in the SEC. We'll see how long that lasts. But I mean, he's the one who pointed out when he got the job that one of the reasons it appealed to him was. He was on Alabama staff. He was the OC at Alabama when Ole Miss beat them two years in a row. So we know that it, it's, it, you know, Hugh Freeze showed before, before it all went to, to, before it all imploded, you know, that, that the potential is there. And, you know, I think, you know, I've said it before, I think the opposite, I feel the opposite about Leach at Mississippi State. And it's unfortunate because I always, I've wanted for years to see how that system would work at, you know, more of a blue blood program where he could recruit the best players but this is not that um if he had gotten the tennessee job that's a place that you know look at what jeremy pruitt's doing right now look at even butch jones had some very highly ranked recruiting classes there um this feels more like and i brought this up uh, a couple weeks ago with bielema where he thought he could take his system and and run it and and at arkansas and and beat alabama and lsu and those guys and like you find out pretty quickly no there's a huge talent gap there um, and, and I think it might be the same at Mississippi State. Yes, they've, they've put some great players into the NFL, but on the whole, it's, they're not going to have the, uh, the talent to match up with those guys, and I'm just not sure the air raid is going to be the neutralizer there. Um, I'm actually really interested to know what he's going to do this year with Kylan Hill, a great running back, but when's the last time you saw a running back do anything in that offense? It's just not in, You mean in his offense, that. not in... In, in the way he runs his it. I mean, version, there's been yeah. other... There's been plenty of, like, DeAndre well, Washington... Well, Lincoln Riley uses his running backs, you know, plenty. Yeah, DeAndre um, Washington that was a terrific running back uh, at Texas Tech after Leach. I mean, there's been there's been plenty of guys. It's just Mike's system is the, tr- is the I guess, the truest, strictest version of the air raid. It's not to say... Like, Max Borgie was a really effective... You know, he's had good weapons there as running backs it's just it's different you know you're not going to be a 1500 yard rusher in that i mean you may get 1500 total yards because you're going to get the ball a lot at in space um drink wits i was skeptical of after hiring him off of one season at appalachian state where you know, obviously the the everything was already in place for him uh, this will be a different situation but I, he's gone off to a really good start in recruiting um i think that He's very social media savvy, and uh, you know I think players will relate to him. So you know, I'm curious to see there. And, and Pittman, like I think wild cards the, the the right phrase for Pittman. Uh, he's never been a head coach. Basically, his it's actually pretty unusual to see somebody get their first head coaching opportunity pretty much that late in their career. You know, you would think if it was going to happen, it would have happened a while ago. Um, in the very SEC, respected. in the SEC, no less. It's not like he's he. He jumped down to Arkansas State or a group of five. He's getting it. I mean, granted, it's a program that has struggled in the last five, six years, but he's getting it at a program that that there people have won there before. People have won there before. It's just that 
you know, he's he's starting from the very very bottom. I mean, it's just the program is in just such bad shape now. He's going to have to build it up from the bottom, um, and I think that they're all banking on him being a great recruiter. He was a he, he was a very important recruiter at Georgia. Um, right now, their twenty twenty one class is ninth in the SEC, thirty sixth nationally. One four star AJ Green uh, from Oklahoma, and then a bunch of three stars. I'm not going to you know make any conclusions off of that when we're so far from signing day, but uh, that's that's what everybody's banking on, and and we'll see if he can pull that off. But yeah, and at the end of the day, our answer to this question is the same. We think Kiffin uh, has the best opportunity. All right, Bruce, this one's for you from Steve in Boulder, Colorado. Are we likely to see the lowest coaching turnover in recent history after this, parentheses, presumed season of 2020, whether it happens in fall or spring? It seems like firing for cause will be especially difficult due to COVID and athletic budgets will be tight for firing without causes and paying buyouts. I think he's right because of the financial reasons he's saying, and I just don't think there's going to be a lot of... First of all, it's just... I think there's so much uncertainty of everything that's going on, but I think that on top of it, it just, you know, this was expected. Uh, uh, you know, if you talk to people in the industry, which are ADs and search firm people and certainly coaching agents, if you talk to them in December, they would have thought the winter of 2020 slash 2021 was going to be a very busy one and on the coaching carousel. Now I think it's going to be the opposite for those reasons. All right, Stu, this question from Rudy Rutland. Stu and Bruce, I feel like Mac Jones isn't getting the respect he should from some in the media. He's not the most talented quarterback in the country, but he has weapons. Yes, he definitely does. And confidence. In limited action last year, he had a better passer rating against Auburn than Joe Burrow and a better passer rating against Michigan than Justin Fields. Show him love. Any possibility he comes out of nowhere this year and is a poor man's Joe Burrow. Obviously, I don't think he's going to skyrocket to the number one overall pick. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Riley. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely credence to that. Um, You know, obviously, following Tua, there was not much, you know, the expectations were pretty low for him. He also was not, uh, I mean, Tua was a five-star recruit. Mac Jones was a three-star recruit. He was not... Uh, frankly, I'm sure there were people that follow Alabama that were never expecting him to be the starting quarterback, that he would get, you know, he'd be a career backup and get passed up. I think one thing that that maybe is one of the reasons why he's not getting more credit is, you know, he threw for a lot of yards in that Auburn game, but he also threw two, two pretty costly interceptions uh, that, you know, were, I don't, I'm not going to say that lost the game for Alabama, but it certainly was a, a big contributor. Uh, but, that being said, I mean, he, he bounced back and had a really good bowl game and uh, frankly finished with a fairly similar passer rating, albeit in, in you know, limited action to, to Tua. So I, I certainly think a, a, a full season as the guy uh, and with uh, Devontae, Smith, Devontae Smith and um, Jalen Waddell and those guys, like he could have a really good season. Uh, no question about it. Is he going to leap to the number one overall pick? I, I seriously doubt it. Or anything close to that, but I don't know. I mean, do you think he could be an NFL quarterback? I do. Um, I think it's possible. I also think one of the things that maybe has undermined this a little bit is there is so much buzz, especially for people in recruiting circles who have seen Bryce Young uh, and know Steve Sarkeesian's uh, feelings about his talent. That I think there's some people who wonder Bryce Young may be able to overtake him. Um, now, who knows what's going to happen because obviously there's so much uncertainty and lack of continuity of everything that's going on because it's not a normal time. But I think that has definitely added to it. But certainly when you're talking about the receivers he has, um, it's noteworthy, right? And so, again, the Michigan game, I think, definitely definitely uh, was promising, certainly. And, um, you know, we'll see. It's one of those things where I think – you know, you get questions like this and you kind of like think about stuff you probably hadn't thought of. And and one of the things that I think that um, probably has a little something to do with this as Riley's question is when he said, you know, not getting a lot of love. I just feel like sometimes in this offseason, normally we would be talking about the Mac Joneses and we'd be talking about the Miles Brennans and the Joe we'd Milton's. We'd be ranking SEC quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah. We'd, be ta- we'd have those discussions and we haven't had much of them for the obvious reasons of everything else that's gone on. So I think that's probably part of the reason 
there's been a little bit of the, I don't know if short shrift is the right way to say it, but that's probably adds to it. The next question I really like, Stu. Uh, this is from Andrew. Stu and Bruce, having read Andy Staples' recent column, The Menu, One Hungry Sports Writer's Journey Through America, I find myself thinking, for the athletic's sake, I hope most of these meals he expensed were while he worked at other publications. Yeah, SI is swimming in money right now, Andrew. <laughs> so Andy might have sunk them himself. Uh, Included in his impressive list were 24 restaurants in Alabama. Well, wait, wait. Note that that the word impressive has a strike through. Yeah, well, yes. Yeah, duly noted. Uh, 24 restaurants were in Alabama, while only 13 in California, a much bigger state with an abundance of great restaurants. Also does not seem like light and healthy, in quotes, were filters used when he searched for restaurants on Yelp. What are your thoughts on his list? First of all, Andy doesn't go on Yelp to find restaurants. He, he, he's, he's more savvy than that. Second of all, I don't think Andrew quite maybe is familiar with Andy's brand as maybe some. There, there's never been any delusion that light and healthy are the priorities when he's looking for these restaurants on the road. That he's looking for, I mean, you and I have ate many meals with him. He eats... I mean, gluttony is not not even doesn't even do it justice. I don't think. I mean, yes, Andy Staples should be the only sports writer who could who could who could probably get a toilet paper endorsement. I think when he goes to these places, and I remember that he went to uh, when the when the national title game was in Tampa, and that's kind of a little bit of Andy's home stomping ground because he worked he worked there as a younger sports writer. He took me to a place, and it's it's mentioned in the um, it's mentioned in Annie's story, and I don't remember. I think it was Dats. I think it might have been the name of it. And Andy ordered something that was a humongous burger, um, but it was also a burger that was the buns were donuts, and that doesn't even do justice to how massive this thing was. And I've never gone with Andy to a place. I don't know if that's what I'm about to say. Is I was never gone to a place with Andy where I knew he wanted to help eat healthy because that's not true. There have been a handful of these, but I've never gone <laughs> to an Andy kind of place where it's been like these are the Andy Staples places I think of where it's like, you know, they embrace bacon fat and certain <laughs> things that are going to be in the, in the sauces and everything. And so... Um, you know, as far as the a lot, very few California restaurants, I also think part of it is because I think both of us have worked with Andy. And so I don't, I'm not saying Andy hasn't spent much time on the West Coast, but because, you know, we work together, I think there's been a lot of times where maybe Andy, you know, you usually don't send the same, unless it's for like a national title game, you're usually not going that much. Andy spent way more time in the SEC footprint than he has on the West Coast. And also, I don't think, you know, there's a lot of places you can go to, but there's a lot of really, really expensive places in California you could go to for some of these restaurants and and uh, as well as in New York City. And I don't think, you know, even for what Andrew said in the question here, I'm not sure Andy Staples is putting down like $300 uh, restaurant receipts as opposed to, you know, he may be eating, you know, 30,000 calories and, and 100 grams of sat fat in some of these meals, but they're usually not that expensive. So Yeah, he's not looking to go to that. gourmet restaurants. He's looking to go to the hole-in-the-wall places. Uh, I mean, this you know most recent trip to New Orleans for the national title game, a lot of the places we went were kind of hole-in-the-wall places that not many people know about or maybe only like hardcore foodies know about, but they were unbelievable. And yes, I mean, he he's a college football writer. He's spent a lot more time in... in uh, in the SEC footprint than in the Pac-12 footprint. Your favorite Andy Staples food recommendation or food experience you had with him was fill in the blank. Um, well, it's he's the one who took me to Archibald's. You know, the the, the fantastic barbecue place in Tuscaloosa that I'd never been to, and um, I mean that one that one's always going to stand out. But I mean, there's been there's been so many. All right, well, Bruce, we made it through another week. Uh, it does seem like things are moving pretty rapidly in terms of um, news that impacts the state of the college football season. So I have a feeling when we come back next week, 
there's going to be a lot more clarity, good or bad, and we'll have a lot more to talk about then. So we'll see you next time. If you enjoy The Audible, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and a rating if you could, too. It helps us get the word out. Our producer is John Hayes. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. You can download their music on Spotify or Apple Music. Follow me on Twitter at SLMandel. Follow Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB. And if you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, what are you waiting for? You can get 40% off an annual subscription by using this link, theathletic.com slash theaudible. That's 40% off your subscription to The Athletic. We'll find a way to adrenaline. It doesn't matter what it takes.